going to pray. It's going to come to God's Word. We're continuing in the little series, um, really on prayer. Over the next two weeks, I want to be looking at prayer, but particularly around spiritual warfare and prayer. So I'm going to set, I'm going to set some foundations today, hopefully, and then we're going to get um, into a bit more detail, um, all being well, next next weekend. So, you know, Father, we want to thank you for this opportunity to gather together. And Father, we want to set our hearts because ultimately we want to hear from you, God. We want to hear from your word. We want you to speak. We want you to change our life. We want to know that our identity, that our hope is in you, Jesus. So Father, we pray as we come to your word now, just to prepare our hearts to receive all that you've got for us. In Jesus' name, we ask this. Amen. A few months ago, my wife Rachel woke up terrified and she was unable to move. She, she felt as if she was being pinned down to the bed by some invisible force. She couldn't even speak and eventually she was able to say, just in a whisper, go in the name of Jesus. This happened a second time a few weeks later and after that we thought, you know what, we've had enough of this. We're not going to be putting up with this. Whatever is going on here, it needs to be dealt with. So we began to pray. We examined our hearts. We confessed our sins. We, we repented. And then we anointed the gates of our home with oil. We anointed the door with oil. We declared scripture and we bound Satan in the name of Jesus Christ. We commanded any force of evil to leave our home and our family in Jesus' name. And then we invited the King of Glory to come in. Using Psalm 24, it says, Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of Glory may come in. Who is the King of Glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates, lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, this King of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the King of glory. And you may find it a little bit strange what we did around our gates with oil and bits and pieces. You may even think we're a little bit odd for doing such. I must admit, we were even wondering what our neighbours might be thinking as they watched us, truthfully. But actually, in one sense, we didn't care. Because all we know is since then, since those prayers, those frightening experiences have stopped. They've gone. And I tell you this not to worry you. But I do want you to sit up and listen. Because church, whether you admit it or not, we are in a battle. We're in a battle. And there's an enemy out there who is trying to do everything he can to damage people. He plays dirty and he wants to destroy lives. He wants to cause disunity. He wants to break relationships. He wants to wreck marriages. And basically he wants to shut us up. So either we give up and walk away or we start to fight. And church, it is time to fight. But how? Turn to Ephesians chapter 6. It's going to read a few verses. Chapter 6, verse 10, it says this. Finally, 
Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you will take your stand against the evil, against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the firing, all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always pray on and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me and whatever I speak, that words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for what for which I am an ambassador in chains, pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. And in this book, the book of Ephesians, Paul lays down some very important principles of spiritual warfare. So in this last chapter, chapter 6, verse 10, he he writes, Finally, be strong in the Lord. But the fact that he says finally here would suggest that this is the last in a series of principles that we need to learn and to actually apply to our lives. Before we get into the detail, I want just to acknowledge my sources. So this, what am I going to say has come from a number of books and particularly from a guy called Dean Sherman who wrote a book on spiritual warfare for every Christian. Also borrowed from Watchman Nee, a book on Ephesians entitled Sit, Walk, and stand. And it's there I'm going to begin. See, the very first few chapters of Ephesians, we are encouraged to sit. Ephesians 1 and 2, Paul focuses on our position in Christ and our relationship with God. And it's just a wonderful account of what God has done to forgive and to reconcile those who have been born again. So in these first few chapters, They are full of declarations of who you are based on what God has done for you in your life. So listen to them. It says that God has blessed you in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he has chosen you in him before the creation of the world. He has predestined you for adoption into sonship through Jesus Christ. He has lavished grace upon you. In him you have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. He has made known to you the mystery of his will. He has obtained, so you have obtained an inheritance. You are sealed in him. You were dead, but God has made you alive together with Christ. He washed you and has forgiven you. He has saved you by grace. And that is not of yourself. It's not a result of works that no one should boast. Once you were separated, once you were far off, but now you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. Christ is your peace. And through him, you have access to the Father by one spirit. You are no longer strangers, but 
fellow citizens. You are members of God's household. This is who you are. Is that not good news this morning? This is who you are. You are recipients of all of these wonderful blessings from God. And all of these things come together. They all culminate in the fact that God makes you sit with him in heavenly places. Chapter 2 verse 6. And whatever and whether you choose to believe it or not. It doesn't change the fact that it's true. This is who you are in Christ Jesus. However, it's not just enough to read the scriptures. It's not enough just to believe a set of doctrines to be true. What we believe, we must also live out. That's what the book of James has been teaching us as we've gone through it over the last number of months. But we must embrace the truth we must believe it and we must learn to sit with God and you may need to read and to reread those verses over and over and over again until they sink from your mind into your heart allow them to change you but that is who you are in Christ sitting with Christ and to sit with Christ it means three things it first of all means that you are reigning you are reigning You are meant to reign in life. Romans chapter 5 verse 17. Those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in this life through the one man, Christ Jesus. However, what happens all too often is that we allow our circumstances or the attacks of the enemy to control us and even to enslave us. So time and time again, we actually seem surprised when we come under attack. We crumble under the pressure of it rather than sit in Christ's reigning authority over it because we simply forget our identity. This is a lesson that we learn and we need to keep learning and relearn every single time we come under attack. The second thing about sitting with Christ is that it speaks of a finished work. See, you only sit down after the job is completed. Now, I'm a bit of a nightmare at home when it comes to washing up dishes. I love, I love to get the dishes all washed up before we sit down to eat. I just don't like to think I have to do them afterwards. So I just want to, so sometimes Rachel and Rosie, they're waiting at the table thinking, come on, would you hurry up? It's just a moment. I'm nearly there. I just want to finish this last dish off. Then I can sit down. And God is saying through Ephesians that, Everything has already been done to make you all that you need to be. It is the finished work. Jesus has taken his rightful place and he has sat down. He has completed the work of atonement. He's defeated the devil. He's conquered all the principalities and powers. He's established himself as the reigning king of kings, lord over everything. And he has sat down. And you need to take your rightful place that has been won for you by the glorious Saviour and Lord and to sit down. Your salvation is complete. Your authority over the enemy has been won. Colossians 2.10 In Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and every authority. Third thing that we need to do as we sit It speaks of a relaxed position. 
Relaxing is the natural response when a job is completed. That's why I like the dishes done. I can really relax when I know there's no more pots to be washed up after dinner. It's just the way I'm thinking, the way I work. I'm not saying it's right, but that's just me. I'm a bit weird, perhaps. But when, when you're convinced that nothing can undo or damage the completed work, you relax. But to relax, you need to know that you are protected and that you are secure in the power of Christ. Listen, our nation, perhaps more than ever before, needs more Christians who know that they are saved and they are completely secure in Christ and that they are seated with him in heavenly places. Listen, if you haven't learned this yet, you need to. If you know Jesus, this is who you are. This is your identity. You are sitting. You are reigning. You are enjoying the finished work. You are relaxing in Christ. The second aspect to this, to get a little bit further into the book of Ephesians, we are told to walk. So in the second major section, particularly chapter 4, and around that, Paul explains the responsibility of believers to act according to the will and to the word of God. So sitting is only one dimension of the Christian life. And once you have learned to sit in Christ and know that you are in him because of the great and the finished work that he has done for you, you must learn to walk. You see, life is never static, it's always dynamic, it never stops. So every morning as you get out of bed, your mind is probably spinning, your head is full of everything that needs to be done, goals to be accomplished, desires to live a fruitful life. And as Christians, yes, we are saved and our eternity is secure in Christ. However, we still need to live out our lives through Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then another week begins. And the same Bible that tells us that your salvation is not as a result of work so that no one can boast also says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Chapter 4, verse 1. In verse 22 it says, to put off the old self, which has been corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Verse 26. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come from your mouth. 31. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. But what happens all too often down through the ages is that Christians have begun to argue sort of a theological war between grace versus works so on one side people are saying well you're into works you're trying to earn what christ has given you you need more grace in your life on the other side people say well you're irresponsible you need to take responsibility for your actions your behavior and your sin and if you've been around church for any length of time you'd have probably heard both of these things being being said but you need to stop Arguing and realizing that both of those positions are right. They're both right. They're just two different dimensions of the Christian life. See, there is nothing, absolutely nothing that you can do to gain the gift of forgiveness and salvation. 
You cannot add to the finished work of Jesus on the cross. It is by grace alone that you have been saved. You, he has done what he has done and you have to either accept it or reject it. So you cannot make God's work more complete. You can only sit. You can only sit in him and with him. But once you've accepted your position in Christ, you must, walk in a, you must walk in a manner worthy of the foundation which Jesus Christ has led. It is your responsibility to do everything within your power to serve him, to walk in obedience, to walk in the light, and to walk in the spirit. And although it is absolutely true that you sit in heavenly places because of what Jesus Christ has done for you, you must also act and behave in a responsible manner worthy of your position in Christ. You must walk. No excuses, no blaming other people. You must walk. The third thing is standing. And we come right back to where we started at the beginning. Ephesians 6, 10 to 20. You're called to stand. And it's only here that we're told, finally, to take your stand against the enemy. But you will never be able to stand confidently or resolutely against the powers of darkness if you have not, first of all, secured your salvation. Unless you're seated and you're relaxed before God, knowing that com- with complete confidence that you're trusting in the wonderful grace of God, which is able to keep you from falling. But also, you must be walking with a clear conscience, with purity and with obedience. Otherwise, you will not be able to stand against the, evil's power, the evil powers. But unfortunately, there are all too many of us who too often have got it completely backwards. We stand and we contend for our salvation and we're seated and we are relaxed when it comes to the powers of darkness. And if you're not sure whether you are saved or not, you need to get that foundation in place within your life. You need to come to Jesus. You need to come to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ in repentance and in faith. You need to receive the free gift of grace. As you come, you put your trust in Jesus Christ. He receives you. He loves you. And he welcomes you into his kingdom, into his family. And as we do that, we fill our minds with scriptures that establish all that God has done for us. So in Ephesians 1 and 2 is actually a really, really good place to start. But only when we get God's truth and we allow it to sink in and we find this immovable home within our hearts for the very word of God that you'll be able to sit and to relax in your salvation. But on the other hand, if you never think that you need to walk responsibly on a daily basis, you need to read and perhaps reread verses like Ephesians chapter 4 that emphasize your responsibility to make a good choice according to God's will. And you need to redress. And I mean new clothes. Redress. Put, on the, put off the old clothes of yourself. Put on the new clothes of righteousness through Christ. This is a daily responsibility that you need to do. In fact, it's a simply, it's just a, a, the proper response to God's grace and all that he's done for you. Remember that you cannot work for your salvation in any way. It truly is a free gift from God. But once you've taken hold of this gift, you must keep a clean conscience before God. 
So 1 John 3.21, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and we do what pleases him. It is only then that you are ready to stand against the enemy. So until you're absolutely relaxed and confident in your salvation and you are walking in a manner worthy of the calling which you've been called to walk in on a daily basis, you will never be able to consistently stand up against the enemy. But when you are, when you are walking before God in a worthy manner, when you know that you're relaxed and confident in your salvation, you are in a position to stand. And crazy as this sounds, you must stand, you must walk, and you must sit all at the same time. It sounds like a bit of an acrobatic challenge, similar to you see on on Britain's Got Talent, perhaps. But only then are you prepared to stand and to defeat the powers of darkness, and that you are ready for spiritual warfare. Because then you're finally standing in the Lord and in the strength of his might. His might, by the way. It's his might that we stand in. And we are all in a spiritual battle. And as I said before, you may pretend it's not true, but it doesn't alter the fact. The truth is, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are in a battle. Satan and his demonic forces are out to stop the work of Jesus, and they will do whatever means is necessary to do so. So in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, it says, Be on your guard. Your adversary, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. We used to have a a cat who was a wonderful hunter. Um, Given the chance, he would hunt down and he would catch rabbits, mice, birds, even small children. Actually, that's not true. But he would play with them, he would torture them, he'd eventually kill them. And we find many decapitated rabbits in our utility room. And the cat that looked so quiet and so gentle was truly a vicious killer. He was so successful because he could sneak up so quietly and unnoticed and then pounce. And more often than not, that is exactly how Satan works. He is sneaky, he is devious, and he is deadly. Beware. Be careful. And know your enemy. That's why... Paul writes in verse 12 of chapter 6, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. And this verse spells out such an important principle that your battle is not against flesh and blood. However, for centuries, the Christian church has failed to follow this most important principle of spiritual warfare. Never battle against flesh and blood. And all too often, we forget it. You may have, want to have nothing to do with spiritual warfare. You may think it's weird and a bit freaky and scary to stand against the devil or to rebuke the enemy. And too many Christians are really reluctant to fight Satan, but they have become experts in battling people. So let's be honest. All of us have times in our lives when we have defended ourselves in anger or criticism or rebuke or or just condemning other people. The problem is that the Bible forbids fighting flesh and blood. In fact, Jesus actually says, he actually 
says the complete opposite. He says, love one another as I have loved you. You must love one another, John 13. And the main reason why a defeated devil consistently beats so-called victorious Christians is because we are fighting against one another. We waste multiple hours criticizing other people, condemning other, other denominations, or just running down the way in which other Christians do things. And in the process, we lose the real battle. And the devil, well, he's laughing at us. Because he is the only victor. And when you fight each other because you believe something slightly different, you're fighting your co-workers and you're not battling the one who is really causing the problem. Fighting people will never advance the kingdom of God, no matter how right you think you are. And you need to fight the right enemy. First principle of warfare, fight the right enemy. And this is the most important thing that you can ever learn when it comes to spiritual warfare. And it's by the power of prayer, both defensively but also offensively, that we will demolish the spiritual forces of evil and the strongholds that come against us. I'm going to pick it up next week in a bit more detail. But let's get practical for a moment. So if you truly believe that the Holy Spirit is able to speak into the hearts of people and that he is a far greater level of influence than you do, Shouldn't you first of all take every concern, every observation, everything to him in prayer? As the old hymn puts it like this, Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. And unfortunately, we often come to God only after we've taken matters into our own hands. We've failed and we've left a trail of bruised and damaged hearts in our wake. And all the time we are convincing ourselves that we're right. So is your first impulse to pray? Should be. Is that your first impulse to go to God in prayer? Or do you believe that you really can do a better job than the Holy Spirit? Can you really sort out conflict better than God's Spirit can? See, any action we take without first of all coming to God with a heartfelt prayer and intercession comes out of an attitude of immense pride. And you're basically saying to God, I can handle this better than you can, God. Listen, God loves people far more than you do. And he is infinitely more capable than you are. And if you truly believe this, you would be consistently praying for one another. So five things to remember as we finish. First is this. Pray before you act. In every situation, every situation, pray first. Especially if you're in a position of responsibility, a leader, a pastor, a parent. So as a father, I have a responsibility to look after my family, to, to discipline my family, to, to care for them. But I need to pray before I act there are, of course, times when I need to speak and to correct and to warn. But I must make sure that I give God the first opportunity through prayer. It isn't that we do nothing or that, we, and that God does everything. 
but pray first. Give God a chance to minister into a situation and to maintain the relationship. If you pray first, God will either act directly into that situation or he will give you the wisdom to know how to respond to it. Second thing, you should resist the enemy and take authority over him. Remember, the person is not the problem. So that situation that you're facing at the moment, that person is not the problem. First rule of spiritual warfare, fight the right enemy. However, the powers of darkness will take advantage over every situation, multiply conflicts, hinder reconciliation, destroy relationships. And you need to take a stand in every situation by speaking out against the enemy. Perhaps saying something like this, Satan, I rebuke you. You will not have my family, my friend, my leader. I stand against you and I bind you in the name of Jesus Christ. Remember, your authority is not yours, it comes from Christ. You stand on the, on the finished work of the cross, of the resurrection power, the victory that Jesus has won for you. You stand in the authority of Christ alone. You stop the enemy and you hinder God's work in the lives of those around you in the name of Jesus. It's not you, it's Jesus Christ. Third thing, learn from criticism. Rather than fighting people, rather than fighting flesh and blood, when you are rebuked, you should assess honestly whether there's any truth in it. See, every rebuke, every criticism, every accusation should be humbly considered. Before you react and fight back, stop. Just consider the possibility that you might be wrong. You need to be open of the ministry of other people into your life. This is, this is humility, but it's also spiritual warfare. Pride will cripple you. It will make you ineffective within your ministry. The thing is, we are usually more wrong than any of us would ever care to admit. But even when we know that we are right and we really do know the truth, you must be open and willing to examine the content of what other people are saying to you. And even when some of what they're saying is false, you must not be defensive and you should definitely not fight people. So if there's some truth in what they are saying, it becomes an opportunity to repent and to become more like Jesus. The fourth thing. You must never lose faith or fall under condemnation. And this is so important. Because people's words can be so hurtful at times. But whether you are right or you're wrong, it should never cause you to waver in your faith in God's word. Your confidence in your salvation is, your, your, sorry, your confidence is in your salvation and in Jesus Christ. So when other people disagree with you, you can easily become emotionally crippled. You can find criticism very hard to take, particularly if it's harsh. You can melt before your accusers and even agree of what they're telling you. So you end up actually doubting yourself and yet you end up believing them and actually disbelieving God. And you think, well, they must be right. I must be wrong. I'm always wrong. And your faith becomes weakened. Instead of thinking like that, this is what you must do. 
Take those difficult words spoken over you to God in prayer. You see a pattern here? You see a pattern? If you're not sure what to do, go to God. Every time. Every single time. Allow God to speak into that situation in humility and in openness. Weigh them up in God's presence and by God's word. And listen, if he does not confirm those words, if, he, if, if they're not from him, you can reject them with absolute confidence and leave them with God. And I said, leave them with God. Don't store them up for a future reference point. And, you know, you leave them with God. Leave them behind. You must never lose confidence. Your hope is in Christ. You're seated with him in heavenly. Whatever people say, you find your hope and your confidence in Christ alone and remain strong within your faith. Fifthly and lastly, you should maintain relationships at all costs. Proverbs 18, 19 an offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. Arguments separate friends like a gate locked with bars. And if you fight people, you are not serious about spiritual warfare. And if you allow relationships to become damaged or doctrines to divide you or people problems to flourish within your life, you are not building the kingdom of God. In fact, you are tearing it down. Worse than that, you're actually aiding the kingdom of darkness. And you need to use what God has given you to battle in the right way against the right enemy. And the emotion of anger is given by God. Listen, not all, not all anger is sinful. But we do need to direct anger in the right direction into the right place. Get angry at sin. Get angry at the devil. Release your anger in prayer and against the enemies of God's people. Redirect your combat towards the power of darkness, not against each other. Listen, if we harness the emotions and the energy that we can spend too often fighting against others and direct them against the real source of the enemy of our soul, we would see the collapse of satanic empires that have been allowed to exist for all too long. If every single one of us made the decision never to fight against another human being as long as we live, Satan would tremble. And we would realise the truth, that our battle is not against flesh and blood. You must stand against the evil forces in your lives and that of other people's lives. You must become men and women who live with God-given authority and win victories at every level. You are called to fight. And one of the greatest weapons that God has given us is the weapon of prayer. And we must use it effectively for the building of his kingdom. Let's just pray. Father, we, we thank you for your word. And Father, we acknowledge once again our deep need of you. Lord, for the situations in our lives, for the situation of our nation. Father, often words fail us. Lord, we thank you that we can come to you. We can bring every concern, every problem, every situation to you 
O Lord, in prayer. And Lord, thank you that both you act powerfully by your Spirit, but also you equip us and give us the right words to speak at times, the right things to do at times. So, Father, may we be men and women who are centered in you. Father, may you also redirect us, Lord God, that we are fighting the right enemy. Lord, forgive us when we have attacked people when we should have attacked Satan. Forgive us, Lord, when we have damaged relationships when all the time the enemy has been at work. Father, give us the authority. Help us to sit, help us to walk, and help us to stand in your strength and by your power today. Fill us, Lord, with your spirit, we ask. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen.